you have to remember that you ain't always known the things you know. Some people forget. Some people get a little knowledge and all of a sudden they become one of those terrorists in the sense. And they think people are crazy and foolish and stupid and dumb because they can't get it because they explained it to them. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're talking to who you used to be. Dumb and stupid and unintelligent, lacking knowledge. And all of a sudden, now that you got it, they supposed to get it too. Well, what took you so low, bro? Have some compassion. Show a little tenderness. <laughs> <laughs> be kind, be patient, give people an opportunity to process. For some people it takes a while to process and if you dump on them at some point, you know, it just shuts them down because they're on overload. It's like, you know, you just fried their circuit board. <laughs> you know that you fried their circuit board because the eyes start getting all quickly. It's like, they're looking for the exit. <laughs> it's like, how do I get out of this? And then they see you coming next time. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. In part one of the Last Supper in Passover, the question was asked if the Last Supper Yeshua ate with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, was the Passover meal commanded by the Torah, or was it just that, Yeshua's Last Supper with his disciples? We identified and addressed the confusion surrounding the event of Yeshua's Last Supper with his disciples. We investigated the conversation, dialogue, and language of the Gospel narrative of Matthew and compared statements made in the Gospel narrative of John to help determine and answer that very important question. In this teaching, we will establish a timeline of events that occurred while Yeshua and his disciples were together and discern what was said and done as they shared their Last Supper together. The message title in this podcast, The Last Supper and Passover, Part 2. So, let's study. So we're going to be, again, looking at Matthew chapter number 26. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 36 and talking about the Last Supper and Passover. And this is the second part. In part one of the Last Supper and Passover, the question was asked if the Last Supper Yeshua ate with his disciples on the night he was betrayed was the Passover meal commanded by the Torah or was it just that, Yeshua's Last Supper with his disciples? And we talked about that last week to where if it had been a lunch, it would have been the last lunch. If it had been a breakfast, it would have been the last breakfast. It just so happened to be that it was an evening meal. And in some parts of the world, they call it supper. In other parts of the world, they call it dinner. And so Yeshua's eating dinner, the evening meal with his disciples. We identified and addressed the confusion surrounding the event of Yeshua's Last Supper with his disciples. And as a result of some people's confusion, they argue, debate, and perpetuate their confusions, causing babes in the faith to be confused, 
all because of a verse here or there containing statements Yeshua made to his disciples and the interpretations of translators. So I've had people ask me, you know, what's the significance of doing this particular teaching? What difference does it make? And the real difference it makes is that we are accurate in our understanding. If we're accurate in our understanding, then we'll be accurate more in our application of that which we know. We will no longer be claiming the Last Supper is the Passover when we are celebrating the Passover. We'll have a better understanding of what's actually going on and knowing that everything that the Almighty teach us or instruct us is for us not only to learn, to glean from, to apply, but also to teach others. If we are faithful in our learning, then we will be faithful in our instructing, in our communicating, in our discipling. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, I can attribute a lot of the growth that I have personally experienced in the process of discipling other people, being asked questions that I have to ponder, think about, and then search out, being asked things that I don't understand and don't know how to communicate, and then searching and learning so that I can properly communicate and I can instruct other people. We're not called to come into the kingdom simply for the sake of being in the kingdom and waiting (laughs) for the return of the Messiah. We've been given a mandate and that mandate is to take the true gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth and then Messiah will return. We investigated the conversation, dialogue, and language of the gospel narrative of Matthew and compared statements made in the gospel narrative of John to help determine and answer that very important question of whether the Last Supper Yeshua ate with his disciples was the Passover meal. In this teaching, we will establish a timeline of events that occurred while Yeshua and his disciples were together and discern what was said and done as they shared their last supper together. And so, as I stated in this portion of Matthew, I want to focus on verses 29 through 36. Now, I know we went through that last week, but there's a lot that weren't communicated in that teaching last week that I've got to hopefully bring out in this teaching today. So, The scene, Yeshua is having the evening meal with his disciples. His communications with them is he's going to speak to them concerning some things. And in verse 29, it says, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now, the implication of that could be after Yeshua resurrected, then he spent how many days with his disciples? There was 40 days after the resurrection that he showed himself to his disciples. And we're going to see in some of these verses that it alludes to that. But one could conclude 
that what Yeshua is saying here is not going to manifest until the end times. And what we've also pointed out is how easy it is to read into the scriptures, into the, the text, our understanding. And so at this point, Judas had already left to betray Yeshua earlier in the verse. Messiah spoke that there would be somebody who's going to betray him. The disciples questioned who that might be. And Messiah, we know that it was Judas. Now, here's the interesting thing. Throughout that entire dialogue, the disciples never knew who it was until after the resurrection. When they came together, remember in Acts chapter 1, they replaced Judas. But they asked, and we're going to see that it is not communicated because they conclude that, hey, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Yeshua said, the one who dips in the cup with them, he's going to be the one. And even after that, it doesn't seem as if they understood that Judas was the one who would ultimately betray Yeshua until he showed up with those guards in the, in the garden. Now, between Matthew chapter 26, verse 29 and 30, five chapters of John's gospel unfolds. From chapter 13 to the end of chapter 17, Yeshua shared a considerable amount with his disciples before they went out to Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And so from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, we're going to see that there's so much that takes place. We look at John, and in John chapter 13, we can see that from verses 4 through 14, and I don't have these in a PowerPoint, so I'm going to pull it up and read it to you. So in John chapter 13, and some of you may not necessarily connect John chapter 13 to the Lord's Supper, but we're going to make that connection. Now, before the feast of the Passover, that's how John chapter 13 opens up. In verse 4, we see that Yeshua, he rises from supper, laid aside his garment, and took a towel and did what? Washed his disciples' feet. And then he wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. In verse number six, it says, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto his master, Dost thou wash my feet? Yeshua answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Yeshua said, If I don't wash your feet, then you will have no part with me. Verse 9. Peter said unto him, Master, then don't just wash my feet. <laughs> Give me a bath. <laughs> uh, that's, that's basically the interpretation of what he's saying. He says, Not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Yeshua said to him, He that is washed needeth not only 
save to wash his feet, but is all clean. And then he makes the statement, you are not all clean. Now, after he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he said unto them, know you what I've done? You call me teacher and master. Ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, your master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so what he was teaching them was a lesson on humility. Yeshua wanted his disciples to be humble enough to serve one another. It wasn't who was going to be the greatest or who is the greatest. Is that in the body, in the kingdom, Every person, the Almighty is no respecter of person. We have to understand that. However, what he does is he give people roles. There are callings. There are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And if you look at Ephesians chapter number four, you'll see that apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers all have the same mandate to equip the saints. They go about it a little different and no one can say that, Hey, I don't have need of you because of my position, because we're all interconnected as it relates to the body of Messiah. We just all have different roles, just like a husband and a wife. A husband and a wife, according to the Almighty, and I know some people get bent out of shape when I say this, but when we look at the Father's intent, what we see is equality, different roles, but in equal part. The woman was in the man when the Almighty spoke. So whatever the man heard, the woman in him heard, which is why we don't see Mr. Adam or Jehovah after bringing the woman forth, communicating to her that she's not supposed to eat from the tree. And therefore, it is the fallen state of man that see religion from a fallen state. And as long as we see the world from a fallen state from a fallen point of view, we will never fully grasp who we are to be. We will always operate from a fallen state, even though we've been in and is a new creation. The new creation is not the fallen man. The new creation now position us to do what Yeshua did, and he was never under a fallen status. So, in chapter 13, verse 4 through 14, Yeshua washes the disciples' feet. In verse 10, he tells the disciples that they are not all clean. Who's he referring to? Judas. In verses 18 through 27, he then predicts his betrayal. Now, in verses 18 through 27 in John chapter 13, it says, Yeshua predicts his betrayal. The disciples question who it was. 
and tells Judas to do quickly what he was going to do. So at this point, when he predicts his betrayal while they're sitting together, we see in John chapter number 18, he says, or chapter 13, verses 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now, I tell you before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. So he makes a prediction while he's sitting there, letting them know that there's a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. And the moment it happens, you're going to know. So when we find out later that Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss, he states, Judas, you betray me with a kiss. Now, Judas had eaten the last supper with Yeshua. Yeshua had washed Judas's feet. But even though he washed his feet, he still wasn't clean. Why? Because of what was in him. Because of what was in him. See, brothers and sisters, we can do all the outward stuff. We can present ourselves in whatever manner Because you and I know that we show people that piece or person we want them to see. But what's on the inside is what the Almighty is trying to deal with. And because we are a people who walk by sight, our discernment is limited to our visibility. We discern based on what we see. And as a result, many of us don't even get to know one another. We get to know one another on a surface level based on what? What we see, what somebody said. But we are supposed to know, and there's a difference between being intimate with someone in the natural and being intimately acquainted with someone supernaturally. Because to be intimately acquainted with someone from a supernatural point, you got to look inside. The Almighty has to reveal to you their heart. You can know a person all your life and not know them. You see, that's where discernment comes in, brothers and sisters. And you'll be able to discern who is laboring among you not just those who are hanging out in your presence, putting their hands to the plow. Because there are people who will work amongst you that is not even part of you. So Judas now, he says, Verily, verse 20, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Yeshua had said this, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So why was he troubled in spirit? Because he knew what was about to go down. And he said, Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke, because they didn't know. Now there was leaning on Yeshua's bosom one of his disciples, whom Yeshua loved, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. 
So Simon, according to John, speaks to John and tell him to ask the master. Yeshua answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped and or have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, this is done in everybody's plain view. However, after the sop, Satan entered into him. When did Satan enter into him? After the sop. Now, some say that Judas didn't have the opportunity to change, to change his heart, to change his mind. But we do know that he took that money and then he threw the money away or threw it back into the place of the temple area. So he rejected the money, even though he had the money. He could have kept that money and went on being Judas, but he didn't. He hung himself. Why? Possibly because of feeling bad for what he had done. And that was his way of repenting. (laughs) But it wasn't the way of repentance. People can feel bad about what they have done and demonstrate that they feel bad about what they have done, but not truly repented from what they've done. They just feel bad and ask you to forgive them and tell you they're sorry and then turn around and do some of the same old dumb stuff. And so, after he had stopped, Satan entered him, then said Yeshua unto him, that which you do, do quickly. Now look at this next few verses. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this unto him. Now, wait a minute. It seemed like it would be obvious. Because if you're sitting, you just said, whomever you dip and give to, it's going to be him. And which begs the question, did he only dip and give to Judas? Or did he dip and give to others? Because if I'm sitting at that table... And I see him dipping after he said what he said, then I'm zeroing in. Why aren't they? Because maybe there's some other stuff going on in the mix to where he's breaking bread, giving it to him, dipping and giving to him. But basically he's saying there's one among you and whom I dip and give. And so we see that he does dip and give. But when he left, he said, for some of them thought, Because Judas had the bag that Yeshua had said unto him, buy those things, and those are in italics, buy that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So Judas is sitting at the dinner with him. Yeshua dips, says, whatever you do, go do it quickly. Now we see this. Judas gets up and he leaves. John also reveals that Judas is the treasurer. So now that Judas leaves, even though Yeshua says, what you do, go do it quickly. Then now what happens is that Judas gets up and they think he's going to buy what is needed for the feast. Ding, 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 ding. If this is the Passover and we're going to see when he leaves, it's night then we're now in a Sabbath day, the first day of unleavened bread, which means he would not be going out to buy anything because it's a Sabbath day. 
if he then, having received the sop, went immediately out and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Yeshua said, now is the son of man glorified and Yehovah is esteemed in him. If Yehovah is esteemed in him, then Yehovah shall also esteem him in himself and shall straightway esteem him. And so what we're seeing here now is that as we go from John chapter 28 to verse number 31, Judas leaves. It was night. The disciples thought he was going to buy the things that was needed. And as I stated, the note here now is that if in fact Passover is the evening, it moves into the first day of unleavened bread, the 15th, then we're in a Sabbath day. And John later in chapter 19 is going to tell us that when Yeshua is actually crucified on the Passover, they went to take his body down because the next day, was a special Sabbath and a special Sabbath is those Sabbaths that occur outside of the seventh day Sabbath, which occurs during the times of the feast. So him stating that lets us know that Yeshua is crucified in the evening, right during the Passover times where the lambs are actually being slaughtered. His body is taken down. And this is what has led many in the Christian church to assume that it was a Friday because he was crucified and the next day was a Sabbath. They don't know the Torah. So that's the conclusion they come to. And this is why you got individuals who are claiming good Friday is when Yeshua was crucified and early Sunday morning, he raised from the dead which makes it impossible to get three days and three nights. And then they come up with some cockamamie idea that a portion of a day is a whole day and people buy it. We bought it. <laughs> Those of us who uh, was in the church for a while, you know, we bought it. And so I can see, and I have to remember, and I, I encourage you too. you have to remember that you ain't always known the things, you know, some people forget some people get a little knowledge and all of a sudden they become one of those terrorists in the sense. And they think people are crazy and foolish and stupid and dumb because they can't get it because they explained it to them. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're talking to who you used to be dumb and stupid and unintelligent, lacking knowledge and all of a sudden, now that you got it, they supposed to get it too. Well, what took you so low, bro? Have some compassion. Show a little tenderness. <laughs> Be kind. Be patient. Give people an opportunity to process. For some people, it takes a while to process and if you dump on them at some point, you know, it just shuts them down because they're on overload. It's like, it's like, you know, you just fried their circuit board. <laughs> you know that you fried their circuit board because the eyes start getting all quickly. <laughs> it's like they're looking for the exit. 
<laughs> it's like, how do I, how do I get out of this? And then they see you coming next time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so what we see here is in chapter number 13, by the time we get to verse 38, Yeshua tells Peter he's going to deny him three times. And so Yeshua answered him, will thou lay down your life for my sake? I say unto you, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now, when we go back over into Matthew, we're going to see that this happens is listed after it says that they left and then went to the Mount of Olives. When the fact is, when we look at that, we're going to see that Matthew, and, and here's the thing that we have to remember when we're studying the scriptures. As we're reading and we're studying, and as we get into Exodus this coming week, I'm going to point these things out even clearer because Matthew is reflecting. Mark and Luke are investigating. John is also reflecting. When you look at the writings, and as we go through these books of the Bible, notice we point out when they are written. So if John is written in AD 90, between 90 and 95, these things didn't happen in AD 90, between AD 90 and 95. This is when they were written down. So now John is recollecting Matthew. If his writings is written in AD 55, AD 60, that's not when it happened. These things happened before Messiah was crucified. And based on the chronology and the timelines, we see that this is somewhere around AD 30, 31, 32, or 33 depending on whose math you follow. So here we are 20 some years later, 30 years later, 50 years later in some cases, and they're reflecting back, trying to recall these events. And they're not necessarily all in chronological order, one event after the other. But what he's doing is he's remembering the whole, putting it together, and it's our job to investigate, to search, and to look at and try to identify a potential timeline and not get in foolish arguments thinking it's chronological. You see, people assume it's chronological, but they haven't done the chronology. Once you begin to look at it from a chronological perspective, what you're going to start doing is that you're going to take this verse and move it back over here. And then you'll take this verse and move it over there. Well, brother, aren't you manipulating the scriptures? No. If you look at the timeline and the chronology and you have the proper tools, then you'll be able to effectively do that. If you don't, then what you're doing is that you're doing a surface reading and you walk away thinking you got an understanding. And then when you go and have a conversation with somebody who know what they're talking about, 
then you should be able to, if you're that somebody who know what you're talking about, recognize you're talking to somebody who don't know what they're talking about. And if you're in a conversation with somebody who don't know what they're talking about and you're arguing with them, what does that say about you? (laughs) So, John chapter 14, 1 through 4. The disciples are distraught. Now, you got to understand, Yeshua is sitting at the table with them and some strange stuff is going on here because this ain't the first time they had a dinner together. It's called their last supper because it was the last supper he had with them before the crucifixion. But if he spent all this time with them from the time he called them until this last supper, they had a lot of breakfasts together, a lot of lunches together, a lot of suppers together, a lot of snacks together. Right? Therefore, he's sitting at this particular meal. He's already told them, hey, the Passover is coming. I'm going to be crucified. It's like, what? No. Think about this for a moment. Because I see, I see this stuff, and I get it. I understand it. If you have a loved one, and this loved one is on life support, or, you know, all the signs show that they're in the last stages of their life, and then they die or pass on, and then the person is all distraught. They messed up in the head. My mama died. My daddy died. My grandmama died. My grand, you know, I'm, uh, you know, and they got, and this is, this is grief. Now, all the signs were clearly there. All the signs that, that this person was on the, their way out, arrangements have been made, conversations have been had, and now you got a person who is acting and behaving like this was unexpected. Yeshua is planning. He's, he's talking to them. He's communicating to them. He's letting them know what is going to happen. And they're troubled. They're troubled by it. They can't call the intercessors and have them pray to change Yeshua's mind. There's nothing they can do except receive the information because he's preparing them for what is about to happen. And if they get it, they're not going to go through all of that grief because they know that there is a resurrection. Because he's telling them this, but they've never experienced this before. They've never seen, now, now, wait a minute, they saw Lazarus come back to life. But when Yeshua was saying to his sisters, he says, yeah, we know he's going he's gonna to rise again in the resurrection. Yeshua said, I am the resurrection. His disciples are watching all of this. So he's telling them, and, and for Peter to have the nerve to rebuke him, said, no, 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 no. And Yeshua has to say, look, get behind me, Satan. So he's explaining, he's communicating, and yet they're going to be caught unaware. We as a people, we're not supposed to grieve like the world anyway. We know that life is a cycle. It's a cycle. You're born, you live, you die. You're born, you live, you die. That's not cold. That's not robotic. That's a fact. Folks are going to get old. They're going to die. And our hope is the fact that, and this is why John could write, blessed are they who die in the Lord. 
See, if we understand that whole process, then we can properly grieve, properly mourn, and we can say within our heart, in our soul, in our spirit, that there's a possibility based on what we know, according to the word, that there may be a reconciliation at some point down the road after the resurrection. How that's going to work, I don't know. I read, I hear people's teachings, and so I still don't know. Why? Because nobody's ever experienced it. Nobody has experienced the resurrection that Messiah is talking about and lived after that point. So we don't know. And with all of the things we think we know, we know about that much. So they're distraught. They're troubled by the things Yeshua said and done while eating dinner with them. So he speaks words to them to comfort them, encourages them to put their faith in Jehovah because he's going away to prepare a place for them, but he will return someday for them. And so in verses one through four, this is why he says, let, let not your heart be troubled. He's sitting at the meal with them. He's sitting at that last supper with them and he's watching them. He's communicating to them and he see that they're going through, you know, he's washed their feet. He's talked about betrayal. He's telling them, hey, some things are going to happen. And he's going to get even deeper. But now they are troubled. They are distraught. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Yes, I'm leaving, but God is never leaving. The father is going to always be here. You're accustomed to me because of the physical connection. It's the physical connection. But the fact of the matter is, is that I'm going to come back. And they know because he's going to show himself after he comes back. He says, you believe in God? Do you believe in me also? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you and I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, when Yeshua was, was here on the earth, he was also with the Almighty, and the Almighty was with him. Here, we are, because by the time we get to John chapter 17, he's going to pray for them, that they be one, as he and Father are one. <laughs> Is this stuff making sense to y'all? Are y'all making connections here? Okay. So he comforts them and he says to them, where I go, you know, and the way, you know, what do you mean the way I know? Well, he is the way. How? See, this is where it gets interesting. Thomas asked, where is he going? And denies knowing the way because he did not know where he was going. It's like, if I don't know where you're going, how, how do I know how to get there? But Yeshua is saying, listen, you know, He's telling them that he's going to go back from whence he came, right? And now we get to verse five. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know. Yeshua said unto him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Now here's where you have to take the physical man and convert him back to the word. Because remember, he was the word that became physical. Now you got to take the physical and convert it back to the word. 
Because the word is the way. The word is the truth. The word is the life. See, people put their faith in a man, not in the words the man spoke. They put their faith in a gospel about the man, not in the gospel the man taught. And so when you hear me say the true gospel of the kingdom, the gospel Yeshua taught, this ain't church gospel. This ain't denomination gospel. This ain't religious gospel because they got a bunch of gospels, a bunch of doctrines, and it's another gospel that is different than the gospel Yeshua taught. Because nowhere in what Yeshua taught did he ever do away with the law. He never did away with the law. He never did away with the prophets. He never did away with the Psalms. Everything that is written will be fulfilled. Everything. Why? Because the word of God is truth. The word of Jehovah is the way. Life is in the word. Apart from the word, there is no life. So when I say in him, I live and breathe and have my very existence, I'm saying in his word is where my life is. And anytime I, I divorce myself from the word to try to get along with worldly people, it's where my life now is being ciphered right out of me. I'm not operating in life. I'm walking in death. That's that old man that have creeped up and resurrected. See, it all goes back to the word. It starts with the word. It ends with the word. Why? Because the word and him is what you can't separate father, son, or spirit from the word. It's all one. You see now, if you have known me, he said, well, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In other words, if you're going to get to the Father who is the Word, you got to come by the Word. <laughs> you see, you got to come in the presence of the Almighty by the Word. The Word is supposed to be in you. How does it get in you? Renewing your mind. Renewing your mind in what? Church? See, people come back to church after being away from church, get reacclimated to church, and start doing church stuff. It's not about that. It's about how does the word tell us we're supposed to live? How are we supposed to conduct ourselves? Because I can tell you, you know, as I've talked about this idea of this message that keeps percolating in my spirit about the church, the world, and the kingdom, the church and the world are almost synonymous. They celebrate the same holidays. They celebrate the same Lord's Day. All of these things that the world do, we find that many churches do. I've gotten to the point now, Christmas, Easter, and Halloween. You know, we got teachings on Christmas, Easter, and Halloween. And we make them available to those who want to know. But I'm not going to get on no rampage every, every year condemning people because they want to celebrate Christmas. But I can tell you this, it's heartbreaking to see preachers who genuinely believe that they're serving God with all their heart, 
preaching with that big old Christmas tree behind them. I mean, it really is. And then playing Christmas music for worship. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what they do. That's what they know. And to say something to them is like every year it's the same old argument. And they're going to do what they do. You see? Now, if they're interested in knowing truth, they're going to search truth because, you know, I, don't, I shouldn't have to tell you that every year. If I've said it to you once, then you continue to do what you're going to do. Maybe if you're genuinely sincere about the Almighty, at some point he's going to say to you, you remember what Arthur said to you 15 years ago <laughs> or 20 years ago or however long ago? This is why when you sow truth, then you're planting or you're watering that which has already been planted. But the increase is not going to come until he gives the increase. You can't force a plant to grow. <laughs> you can't. All you can do is wait. And so he says, if you've known me, you should have known my father, verse seven. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. From henceforth, you have known him and have seen him. How? Because Yeshua is going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Well, who is he? The word. It's the word. The most important, the most valuable asset you and I possess. It's not your house. It's not your clothes. It's not. It's not your stuff. It's not what you drive. It's not your jewelry. It's not your bank account. The most valuable asset you have is the word and the wisdom it contains. It's more precious than any other thing. If you don't value it, and you know how I can tell whether you value it or not, you live by it. You ain't making excuses. People who make excuses for the word are generally bad with money. They don't manage it right. And there's an old saying, a fool and his money will soon part. You will be separated from your money if you are a fool. If you're not wise, and it's a biblical principle that if you're not faithful in the little, you will not be rulers of much. That which you have will be taken from you and given to somebody else. There are people always looking to talk you out of the stuff you got. And that, whether it be resources, I was in a place uh, yesterday and they had this nice throne looking chair sitting outside in the foyer. Anyway, I'm walking out and I saw the chair and it's like, you know what? I ought to ask them for that chair. And then my mind says, nah, they ain't going to give you that chair. And I went, I said, you know, I, I ought to ask them for that chair. And then I said, you know, you ain't got nothing to lose. So I turned around, went back in and said, hey, this chair out here, y'all looking to get rid of the chair? The lady said, no. I said, okay. <laughs> I ain't lost nothing. I asked. Now, what if she said, yeah, there's a possibility. But I would not have known had I not asked. You have not because you asked not. That don't mean every time you ask, you go get what you asked for. And sometimes you ought to be thankful that you didn't get what you asked for. <laughs> Keeping it moving. Philip said in verse eight, show us the father and it will be sufficient. Yeshua <laughs> said, have I been with you so long with you and you have not known me, Philip? 
Have I been with you so long? What is he saying? He says, listen, look at all the times I've talked to you about the kingdom. Every kingdom, there's a king. Who, who do you think is the king of the kingdom? All these parables that I'm talking to you about. I'm telling you about who I am and who sent me and the words that I'm speaking. I'm not speaking my words. I'm speaking father's word. The things that I'm saying to you, the communications that I'm communicating with you. I'm not coming up with my own ideas. I'm coming to you and giving you what he gave me. And so what is he saying? Have I been so long with you that you haven't made the distinction of the fact that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit. The words that I speak to you, they are life. The words that I speak to you are the father's words. And who is he spirit? And in him is life. Have I been with you so long that you ain't got it yet? (laughs) And so believe thou, he says, he that has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Now that's a straight up rebuke, folks. I can tell you how he can say it because most of us don't connect the word with father. The church has taught us to connect our relationship to Jesus. Messianic communities, Yeshua. They're still arguing about a trinity. Well, is it Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? It's like, it's all one. No matter what, how you dice it, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you cut it, no matter how you dissect it, no matter how you explain it, it's still all one. And somebody going to ask me today, well, you know, can you explain the Trinity? And I'm not trying to be mean, but it's like, you know what? I understand there's a disconnect. And that's what religion did. Religion put a disconnect, just like drugs have a tendency to put a disconnect between your spirit and the almighty is blockers. There's blockers. There are things that block that cut off, that disconnect. And you'll notice that when people get on drugs and alcohol and get involved in things that changes who they are, they end up doing things that there's no way in the world they would do if they weren't on those things. What happened? They came under an influence. Something separated them, put a blockage between them and the truth. And that's what the devil tries to do. And you know who the devil used most? Now, I know you think I'm going to say your husband or your wife, but no, the church. The devil uses the church big time. I was thinking about this this morning again. You know, let me give you what I'm going to give you, and then I want to talk to you. In John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11, Philip requests to see Jehovah. We just seen, looked at that part. Yeshua rebukes him. John 14, chapter 12 through 14. Then Yeshua begins to do what? He promises them if they have faith in him, they will do great things. And whatever they asked father in his name, he would do it. Now, when is this happening? While he's sitting there with them at the last supper. All this conversation, all this dialogue, Matthew don't have any of it. 
And John is so disconnected from it that most people don't know that what is going on here is at the Last Supper. In verses 15 through 21, Yeshua tells him that if they loved him, they would obey his commands, promises to send them the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and to show himself to them after he is gone. And if, if you look there, you'll see in verse 21, he says, he that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. How? See, this is where the Spirit and the Word works. Because after Yeshua was resurrected, remember, he spent 40 days with his disciples. After the resurrection, what did he do? He showed himself to them. And when you walk in the word, there are certain things you're never going to see from the almighty until you stand on that word and he show himself mighty. The temptations, the struggles, the, 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 the challenges and all of that, that tries to back us up and we try to hold on to that word and, and faith for dear life. And we got all these voices, the doctors and the nurses and the family members and everybody else and all the pharmacia specialists telling us all this stuff. And here we are trying to hold on to the word and all those voices in these pains and these things that my body is not doing like it's supposed to do. And it's like, I can't take it no more. And what happens? People will give in. People will give up. They'll try to go another way. And what happens in that particular situation? Father don't show himself. It's a setback. As I say to you, and as I, I try to live, everything you experience is a test. You're being tested from the time you wake up to the time you wake up. Every day, every decision that you make, everything that you decide to do, everything you decide not to do, it's all a test. Do you have faith? Do you have expectations? Do you have realistic expectations according to the word the where you will stand on that word no matter what? Or will you be like when Peter, Yeshua says, listen, Peter, I know you love me. I know you care. I know you do. But let me tell you something. It's going to get so intense. You're going to deny you even know me. See, that denying he knew him was in a moment of testing. Why? Because his life was on the line. He saw that if he acknowledged the fact that he was with him, then he could end up like him. <laughs> you see that? It's interesting. I remember, you know, my mom was big in the blues, and I remember a song. That song will stay with me the rest of my life. A song B.B. King wrote, say, everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. How you going to get there? You see that conflict? We're constantly being conflicted. And I've come to a point, and this is, this is not a give up type mentality. I've come to the point any day now. Now, I'm expecting, and I'm not going to do anything to shorten that expectation. I'm expecting, if I actually expect to be here until I'm over 100, 
110, 120, that means that I got a lot of years of endurance. If I live that long, I'm going to have to endure a lot of mess from a lot of people. And that mess will get tiresome. You get to a point to where you don't want to deal with people anymore. You want to throw in the towel. You want to rent a trailer in the woods and just be left alone, become a hermit. You know you can't do that. It's like, why do I have to deal with these people? They're getting on my last nerves. Lord, take them or take me. Somebody's got to go. <laughs> it's like, man. <laughs> Whew. And then I got to get up the bar and do the same thing. Now I better stay in the day. Better stay in the day because that's, that's, that's just too much to think that I got to live this over tomorrow. I, I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> fight the good fight today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and this morning as I was doing this, you know, from time to time, I have these strange things happen. I get a flashback in time to where what I'm doing at that moment during my preparation, I've seen it. It's like, you know, when we talk about preordain, from time to time, the Almighty give me glimpses of where I'm at to show me. And it's like, okay, you know, remember I showed you, here's where you are, you're where, I showed you, you're in that place that I revealed to you sometime. Now, I can't tell you when it happened, when he showed it to me, how long ago, but it's like at that moment I knew. And I got even more excited about this message. Verse 14, John, Judas or Thaddeus, that's, that's not Iscariot. Judas, which is also called Thaddeus in other places, asked Yeshua why. We know it's not Judas because why? He's gone. He asked Yeshua, why won't you show yourself to the world? And this is part of, is from this section that this whole idea of church, world, and kingdom, you know, just began to percolate within me. He says, why won't you show yourself? You see, the world can't see him. Even when you try to explain it to him, it's foolishness. I'm not surprised when these young folks who have been raised up in folks' religious house talking about, I don't believe in God. I don't think I let those words come out of my mouth, but my behavior demonstrated it. I had a knowledge of God, and with that knowledge that I had of him, how could I be out there doing the things I was doing unless I didn't believe the information? I didn't believe that what I was doing was a problem for him. He couldn't see it. And from time to time, he showed up in people telling me about myself. At that moment, I feel a little something. And then I go back to my old ways. And then he manifests through somebody else at another moment. And at that moment, I feel something. And it's been a series of moments until I came to the point, there would be no more series of moments. I get it. Now I'm going to walk in it. Now I can tell you, when you get it, that's when real hell break loose. 
Because as long as you you ain't got it, you may, you know, skinny dip in it, a little hell here and there. But, you know, the devil ain't trying to stop you as long as you hanging out with him. He's just trying to get, keep you from getting too far away from him. And so Thaddeus says, hey, Judah says, why won't you show yourself to the world? The world can't see me, is basically what he comes to. And he gives the dialogue concerning love and letting them know that if they're going to demonstrate, he says, if, you, if a man loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. So father's love for us is determined by our love for the almighty. Now, now, that sounds a little weird, but the fact of the matter is that father loves the world, but the world don't have his favor. The world has his love, but not his favor. See, he show himself mighty through those whose hearts are perfect toward him. The others, he got to sneak up on them. Send messengers, angels, near misses, try to scare the hell out of them. In verses 15 through 17, Yeshua the vine and his command to love one another. But I, I feel like I need to read some of this. He says, he that loveth me, verse 24, he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. So he that loveth me not is not keeping my sayings and those sayings that I'm giving you is not mine, their father. So the world is not keeping father's saying. He's going to let them know the world hates them. The prince of the world, he says in verse 30, he says, I'm not going to talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and has nothing on me or nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the father and as the father gave me commandments, even so I do arise, let us go. Now he starts the conversation as if they are about to leave. But then, there we go. He gets into the vine. He lets them know that he's the vine and father is the one who is the husbandman. And therefore, as the vine is, it's the almighty father who is working this vine to produce the kinds of fruit which requires the branches, which is us. We're the branch. We're not the vine. He's the vine. We grow out of him. And father is the one who's nurturing. He's doing the pruning. He's doing the cutting. He's doing all that stuff that guarantee a fruitful vine with branches that produce fruit. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. He takes away the branch that doesn't bear fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he purge. Either way, it's going to be a cutting. Whether it's a pruning or just a complete dismantling. And so in verses number 15 through 17, he speaks on that. Chapter 15 commands them. Verses 18 through 16, he begins to tell them some things that we need to really get. He says, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you because the world loves its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for you, for my name's sake, because you know not him that sent me or because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not known sin or they had not had sin. But now that they have, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. Now he's talking about these people who represents religion. People can be very pious in their religion and it doesn't matter what religion it is. You'll find that there are people as pious as Catholics as there are people pious as Pentecostals. You'll find that there are people that are as pious as Buddhists. You go into some of these people's places of businesses and you will see their altars. They have altars set up in their places of business. They have altars set up in their homes. My daughter was telling me as a, she was one of these nurse assistants who for a period of time was being sent out by this agency to go into people's homes and to care for their elders. And some of these homes had whole rooms dedicated to their gods. This is the room dedicated to their gods. And those people, you go into their places of business and you look behind their counter and you will see their little altars. And some of them, you walk in and you see their Buddhas. And they aren't ashamed of their faith, their religion, because in their pious, in their piety, they want the blessings of their gods to manifest in their lives, just like the believers in Messiah want the blessings of Jehovah to manifest in their lives. There are people who serve different gods, and many of them are even more pious than people who serve Jehovah to the point of having whole rooms in their houses dedicated, spaces dedicated. And Yeshua says, listen, these folks in their religion, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these priests, these high priests, look at them. Their behavior is not reflective of what I teach. That's how you'll know them. John 16, their grief, 5 through 33, Yeshua deals with the disciples' grief, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the return of their joy. Once they have heard the plan, they now perk up. Says, now, since you have spoken to us plainly, we get it. And I encourage you, read John chapter 16, verses 5 through 33. And then in chapter 17, verses 1 through 26, he starts praying. Now, this is not the Gethsemane prayer where he prays for three hours. This prayer is prayed before Gethsemane. Where? He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all those who will believe his teachings from their lips. All the way down to us. 
and those who will believe his teachings from our lips all the way down to however many generations that come along before Messiah returns. So he prays for himself, verses 1 through 5. Verse 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples. Verses 20 through 26, he prays for those who will believe his teachings. And then it transitions into chapter 18, verse 1, and look at what it says. When Yeshua had spoken all these words, they went forth. He went forth with his disciples. Went forth from where? Because now he goes forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron or the Kidron Brook, which is the Kidron Valley. And there was a garden in which they entered and his disciples. What garden do you think that was? The Garden of Gethsemane. But wait a minute. Isn't that where he prayed? That's another prayer. See, all of this that I just revealed to you, this is part of the Last Supper. And here in chapter 18, verse 1, we see they cross over. Going back to verse 30, chapter 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, do we know what hymn they sung? Because there's some commentaries who want to tell you what hymns they sung. And it's like, okay, where y'all get that from? How do you know what hymns they sung? Is it recorded? And so when you read your little commentary, you'll see, and especially if you got some Jewish books, it'll say, well, you know, they, they read the last part of the Ascension hymns. Or they read this portion of, you know, the, the Passover, uh, or whatever the case may be, because there are people who want to inject their theology and their belief systems into the Gospels and then write it in the borders in their columns with their commentary. And now you got people who are reading commentary, reading into the scriptures, adding to the word, and then getting up preaching. If you've been brought up in that, then what are you going to believe? You will believe as much of that as the folks who believe Jesus was born on December 25th. And you will adamantly argue about it just like them. And there are too many people talking about their Torah observant who are Jewish. And when I say Jewish, Jewish wannabes. They're reading Jewish books. And they want to argue with me, and that's why I don't argue with them. And they keep trying to pick fights. Tag me. Tag me in Facebook posts. And I remove the tags. They want me to see this, and then they, want to, they think they're going to get under my skin. And I let them know, I don't have loose skin. Now, there may be a little fat, but I'm trying to get rid of that, too. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? There are people who are trying to lure you. They're trying to draw you in. They get around you and they just throw little, little bombs, little smoke bombs, thinking you're going to bite. They throw a word out there and watch how you respond. And, it's, you know, it's like, you know what? I ain't got time for that. My time is too valuable to spend it with someone who's not interested in what I have to say. If you're not interested in what I have to say because you want to talk, that's all right. Talk to the hand. I'm going to tell you right now, the remaining years that I have, 
I'm going to spend those remaining years doing what I believe to be important. I'm not going to be wasting it and hanging out with, with folks who waste, folks who waste their time will waste yours. Folks who waste their money, they'll waste yours. Folks who don't take care of their stuff, why would you let them use your stuff? Because if they don't take care of their stuff, what do you think they're going to do with your stuff? Irresponsible people are irresponsible. And the more you try to talk to them about being responsible, hopefully they'll develop a sense of responsibility, which shows they're hearing what you're saying and they're making the adjustments in their lives. If they're not, you can talk to them like my folks used to say to you, blue in the face. Now, some folks, if they get blue, they die. But you know, though, there's some blue, black Sudanese people. Man, that, that blue just, just shines off of them. It's a whole different blue. Like, why are you going there? I'm just going there because I felt like going there for a moment. But here's the point. Another expression is you talk to them until the cows come in. Or you could talk to them until Jesus come. And they're just as stubborn then as they were when you first started talking to them. Why are you wasting your time with them people? I have to recognize that there's some people that the Almighty has other people that will reach them or other people that will allow them to waste their time. But they don't waste it enough of mine. And if you don't value your time, that's on you. I'm not going to tell you how to spend your time. And guess what? When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then said Yeshua unto them, all you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written. Now notice what he said, all of you shall be offended because of me. Some people focus on Peter. Peter denied him three times. But what were the other disciples? What happened to the rest of them? Now we know Judas. Judas had an excuse. <laughs> but the rest of them didn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was only one who showed up for the, for the funeral. It's like, where, where were the rest of them? You should have said all of y'all going to be offended. And I suspect John was offended, but John didn't let his offense deter him from following Messiah to the end. And you know what? It's that John that was tormented the most. I mean, the stuff that he endured, the attempts on his life, they couldn't kill him, so they put him on an island to try to let him spend the rest of his days in solitude, isolated from the general public and people, hoping that he'd die in the joint. But instead, he wrote letters, had visions, dreams. He continued his ministry from behind bars. He says, I will smite the shepherd as it is written, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So what is he saying? Listen, I'm going, but I'm coming back, and I'm going to go before you in Galilee. I'm going to gather you all back together. We're going to talk. We're going to get, you know, get the band back together. We're going to talk about some stuff, and, and then we're going to commission you and send you forth to deal with some of the same hard-headed folks who wanted my life. You're going to have to deal with them. But don't be afraid of them because I've overcome and Yeshua is going to demonstrate because when they see him on that cross, it's like, that's it. 
but he knew it wasn't the end. Verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And we see that John addressed that issue before. But here's why I wanted to point it out. It says, and when they had, and when they had sung in hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So one would suspect that they sung a hymn, went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Yeshua is having this conversation with Peter about him denying him. Or, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, indicating that they didn't go out to the Mount of Olives until they sung a hymn, which could have been after this conversation. If you look at it in the tense, verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. We know that wasn't true. Yeshua said unto him, verily I said unto thee that this night before the cock crow, you shall deny me three times, thrice. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise, also said all the disciples. Now notice what is going on. They're following Peter's lead. I will never deny you. I will never deny you. I will never deny you. And they're all agreeing. See what it says? Peter said it. And though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And then the other disciples said it likewise. So I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Hear me out. When you leave here, nine times out of ten, you're going by yourself. There are people who will claim they will stand with you. But when the going gets tough, don't hate. Because your fight ain't their fight. Unless they're on the same team with you and they are committed to the work. And they may say, Brother Arthur, listen, I see your time has come. I don't feel my time has come yet. So just know that I'm not abandoning you. I'm going on about the work. The work must continue. Now, see, people who leave like that have my utmost respect because that's the way it's supposed to happen. I know that we're not going to walk the same path, but your time may come before my time, and your time coming don't end my work. And my time coming don't end your work. If you are committed to the work, the work goes on. It doesn't stop because I die or because you die or somebody else die. It wasn't designed to stop that way. But understand, there will come a time that you will be connected to people and those people disconnecting from you is not abandonment. Because they're going on with the work. And you'll know by what they say about you after the fact. And maybe you won't know, but they will, because their own hearts will be exposed. After Yeshua finished his discourse with his disciples at the dinner table, they leave and go into the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And so from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and I put together this little map. Now, I didn't put it together. I I downloaded it and put it in a PowerPoint because this was on the internet, and I I had to search to find what I considered to be an accurate one, 
because you'll notice in the bottom left-hand corner where those purple dots start is where they located the upper room. And the dots follow all the way up across the Valley of Kidron up to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is because the Garden of Gethsemane is at the foot. Now here's another view. The upper room at the bottom up to the Garden of Gethsemane at the top. But then I wanted to point this out because if you look at the proximity of the upper room and the Temple Mount, there's a great distance. And I point that out because when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they weren't in an upper room. They were in the Temple Mount, on the Temple Mount, in the house, the house of the Lord, the house of God, in the Temple courts. That's how all those people heard them. And so Gethsemane there, miscellaneous meaning and all press usage, Gethsemane twice, the name of a place at the foot of the Mount of Olives beyond the torrent Kitron. And that is the conclusion Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.